So a number of our singles were gone. I think it is also a holiday weekend. Is that right? Uh, I was told that tomorrow was a holiday. Now, it's not one of the, it's not like Christmas or uh, Thanksgiving. Some of you are looking at me like, tomorrow's not a holiday. But it is, for some people, is it uh, Columbus Day? Columbus Day is tomorrow, and it's a holiday. And so, uh, does anybody know why we have Columbus Day? I don't know either. So, but you know what? I think that's not important. The important thing is that we all celebrate. And, uh, but I know that it's maybe not one of the, some of you probably have to go to work tomorrow. Yeah, how about Les Callahan and all his employees? Are they going to work tomorrow? Is that a holiday? Is that a paid holiday, Les? You're a bad man, Les. See, it's, it's nice that you give jobs to people in the fellowship, but it'd be better if you were even nicer to them and gave them holidays. So how many of you do have tomorrow off? Like five people do. And the rest of the people, there are other people that have tomorrow off, and they're all off uh, for the weekend, and that's why they're not here today. They're off celebrating a three-day weekend, right? So they're not here. So we're going uh, to actually finish up our story in Nehemiah today. Very, uh, I know you're disappointed. I know you're disappointed. Um, I understand that. I mean, it's, it's, been a, it's been a powerful and wonderful study. I'm, I'm sure a lot of you are like me. I knew next to nothing. I mean, I've read the whole Bible through many times, but especially this last part of Nehemiah, I have never studied in all my years as a Christian and all my years preaching. I've never studied or preached on those things before, not chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and then today's chapter 13. This will be the first time that I've ever really studied this chapter and that I've ever preached. How many of you have ever studied Nehemiah 13 before? See, there was one half of a hand. Two halves, so we have one. So whatever this lesson is, I know it's going to be fresh. I know it's going to be new. I know it's going to be different for you because we've never looked at it before, and it's always exciting when you you know, read a lot of the same scriptures in the Bible that you've read many times that are still powerful and they still move you. And it's also exciting to get new stuff, right? So we're going to talk about uh, decision making today. Have you figured out yet that making good decisions is important in life? Yes, hopefully you have. Have you ever made a decision and then later on you realize that was not a good decision? That was a bad decision. Yeah, I think we've all done that many, many times. You know, Mary Kay and I, not so years ago, many years ago, a few years ago. Um, actually, she's, I think she probably would not like to be involved in this. So let's just say I made this decision a few years ago. To borrow money to invest in something that I thought was a sure thing. Now, that was a bad decision. And many people told me that was a bad decision. But I thought, have you ever been there? Maybe, not you guys, because you guys don't have any money. But people have money and think, wow, you know, this is such a good investment, and I'm going to ultimately make more money. And so I ought to, it, make, it makes perfect sense in this situation to borrow money or to go into debt in order to make this investment. How do you think that turned out for me? Did not turn out well. The funny thing is, and maybe you're like that too, I've made decisions sometimes, and even when I'm making the decision, I know I'm making a bad decision, but I do it anyway. Have you ever been there? 
Hopefully you don't feel that about the person you married. But that's another story there. That's, that's another story for another week. Yes. Boo, boo, hiss, hiss. Can't believe you brought that up. But here's the thing. I'm hoping that I can help us today to make better decisions. Because the truth is, and I, I want to challenge you right up front here, to take responsibility for the decisions that you make in your life. A lot of us, we believe and we act like there are so many things out of our control that whether we're happy or whether we're productive or whether we're successful or whether we're spiritual is really depending on, if there's circumstances in our life that are determining that for us. And there are true, this is true, there are always things in our life that we don't necessarily control, that we wish we could change, or we wish were better. But the truth is that if we make great decisions, we can be happy in our life, even in terrible circumstances. There's plenty of evidence for that. There's a lot of people that don't have any money that are very happy. There are a lot of people that have a lot of money that are very unhappy. Right? There's a lot of beautiful people who marry beautiful people who have bad marriages. Sometimes we read about them on the, uh, in, on the, uh, in the news, right? Good news is there are a lot of not-so-attractive people who marry not-so-attractive people who are very happy. And sometimes there's a not-so-attractive person that marries a, a person who's very attractive and they're happy. Who knew? I'm not going to fill in the blanks there with any of that. I'm just going to let you figure that out. But I want us to take responsibility for our lives. You know, bad decisions have an impact. And some of them, sometimes those impacts, the impact is, is huge. And sometimes it's not so huge. But how many of us have made those decisions? And later on we go, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I eat that? Why did I drink that? Why did I smoke that? Take responsibility for your decisions. And God wants to help us to make great decisions. Because those really can be uh, such a blessing in our life and help us even through the most difficult circumstances. The truth is that most of the time... Hopefully I'll give you some insight into yourself today, and I want us to, hopefully today will be a day where we can do some rugged self-examination. I don't know if you're in the mood for that, but it's hard sometimes to look. I want you to look at yourself today. Sometimes it's very easy to look at other people, but it's not so easy to look at ourselves. But the truth is, most of us are make our decisions primarily about what we think will make us happy. Have you figured that out yet about yourself? Most of the time, the first place we go is, do I think this thing that I might do or whatever, you know, this, do I think this is going to make me happy? We don't know. We're, we're on a quest for happiness. And I think that's okay. We understand that. But our frequently, we're not on a quest for truth. We're not on a quest for what's right. We're on a quest for happiness, and that gets us in trouble sometimes. Right? Because we're doing what we think is happy, and it's really not getting us the result that we really want. Okay. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 13. I'm going to give you a little bit of background here, because what we're going to find out 
We've had a, it's been a great story so far in Nehemiah, the first 12 chapters, and it almost seems like the book should have ended in chapter 12, because after 140 years of Jerusalem being decimated and, and just, you know, destroyed and the temple and all that, and then Nehemiah gets this vision and he works with the king of Persia and he comes to Jerusalem and he gives the people the vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to rebuild their lives and they do that and it's all wonderful even after 140 years they catch this vision and they rebuild the wall in 52 days and then even more importantly they rebuild their lives and he presents them the word of God and they embrace the word of God again and they confess their sin and they repent of sin and things are they're starting to be blessed. Things are going wonderful. I mean, there's challenges along the way, but it's just a, it's a great story, and it ends in the last sermon I preached in chapter 12. I don't know if you were here. You remember it. We talked about celebrating God in worship, and they have this big dedication. They have this big celebration, and everybody turns out, and they sing, and they praise God, and everybody's happy, and after 140 years, it's just, and it's just wonderful. Why didn't the book end there? That's what you're going to ask yourself, and that's what I asked myself when I read chapter 13. But by the wisdom of God, I believe there was an important reason that it didn't end there. What happens that we're going to find out is that Nehemiah stays on in Jerusalem for 12 years. We're going to find that in what we read today. But then he, he's still actually working for the king of Persia, and the Persians are still ruling. And so the king of Persia says, hey, you've got to come back home. And so uh, he came back to Persia, and then he was gone for a while. We don't know how long he was gone for. But after some time, he came back to Jerusalem again. And what he found, and we don't know whether it was six months or six years. The Bible doesn't say how long the time frame was. What he found was, in spite of all the victory that the people had made some bad decisions. They had gone back to living, in many ways, the same life they were living before Nehemiah showed up. Can you imagine that? Isn't that shocking? Isn't that terrible? Shouldn't we think less of these people? Maybe we should look at our own lives, right? Have you ever figured out how easy it is? To make a great decision, a great decision spiritually, a great life decision, and then over time, sometimes without even realizing it, we start drifting back, we start sliding back. In the church when I was growing up, we called that backsliding. You ever heard that term, backsliding? Tom and Edda McCurry and I have heard it, and some of the rest of you. I don't even know what it means, but it just means you're going backwards. You're sliding backwards. And you end up, you wake up one day and you go, well, here we are right where we started. That's what happened. So this is kind of like the epilogue. But it's not a happy ending, necessarily. It could be, but it's not a happy moment. Let's read in Nehemiah 13. We're going to skip around a little bit. I just want to give you a little bit of the flavor of it. And I'll explain it as you go along and try to get something out of it. Nehemiah 13, verse 4, before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. That's the temple where they worship God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. Do you remember who Tobiah was? 
Tobiah was one of the enemies of God. If you know the whole story of, of Nehemiah, Tobiah had opposed the, Nehemiah and the Jewish people in their reclamation and restoration and repentance the whole way. But the priest was a friend of Tobias. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he had provided Tobiah with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and the incense and the temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, as well as the contribution for the priest. So what he did was the priest, the priest of God's people, the lead priest, took one of the rooms in the temple that was supposed to store all the stuff that was given to support the temple worship, moved it all out, and moved Tobiah in. He was living in the temple. He wasn't even a Jew. He wasn't even one of God's people. Can you imagine? Now, Nehemiah wants us to know in verse 6, while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. You know, you ever been in a situation like that, you know, something really bad happens? And it's associated with you or your work. And you're like quick to say, I had nothing to do with that. I don't know anything about that. I don't know how that happened. I wasn't there that day. I was been gone. Somebody else did that. Nehemiah says, I, had none, I, I didn't know anything about that going on. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. And so if you go back to the beginning, it says that he first came in the 20th year. Of King of Xerxes. Now he goes back in the 32nd year. So, how did I get that he left? He came back after 12 years. Yeah, you're all confused. 32 minus 20. What does that equal, Marianne? 12. Is that insulting to you? Just a bit. You're a USC graduate. Okay. So, 12 years later. He goes back, but then it says, sometime later, I asked the king's permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased, threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Who does that remind you of? Yeah, see, it reminds you of Jesus, doesn't it? John chapter 2, cleansing the temple, clearing the temple. It's an interesting thing about Nehemiah. You know, I'm sure he was a man just like us, and he had sin and such, but none of his sins or failures are ever recorded in the story. He's, one of, he's a pretty unusual character because a lot, of, a lot of people, you know, got exposed. But Nehemiah was left for us to think only good of him because nothing ever bad is said about him. And so he throws out Tobias' stuff in the yard, and he says, uh, I gave orders to purify the rooms, and I got back. Into them the equipment of the house of God with grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given them and that all the Levites and singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God being neglected? Then I called together, stationed them all at their post. So not only was Tobiah living in the temple... But they had stopped collecting the tithes and the offerings. And so, you know, the people that were supporting the temple worship, the worship of the house of God, they just went back to their fields. And I guess the temple worship at least was being neglected if it not had totally ceased. What a sad story. How do you think Nehemiah felt coming back? After all that work he'd done, 
and all the good things that happened over the 12 years of there, and he comes back and he finds this. I don't know, as a leader, I see this sometimes. I don't know, some of you have this, you know, but if you're not a leader, and and many of you are, and you lead in small groups, and I know that's a tremendous, I thank you for doing that. I know that's a tremendous challenge, but I can tell you, it's not always the easiest job. Because sometimes you come and all you seems like you have one of those weeks and everything is bad news. Everything is discouraging. You ever experienced that? I mean, I know you experience in your life, but maybe and sometimes even in the church. You know, I, I have one of those weeks this week. You know, I mean, the highlight of my week was Ciara's baptism. Almost everything else that happened to me this week that was said to me was discouraging and negative, including up until this morning, right before I got up here to preach. I mean, you ever have one of those weeks? It happens sometimes. Now, what I tend to do, this is a personal confession, this is where decisions can start to be made. When I have one of those weeks, I can decide I'm either going to feel sorry for myself. That's one option, right? I'm either going to get, I'm going to let myself just get down and discouraged. I'm going to quit. I'm going to drop out. I'm going to get bitter and angry toward all of you. Because you know you're the problem. You know, when I say my ministry is discouraging, you know who that is, right? That's all of you. You people are the problem. So I could get bitter. I could get angry. I have a choice to make, don't I? Nehemiah had a choice. You know what Nehemiah did? Nehemiah did. I love Nehemiah. He didn't lay down. He didn't quit. He didn't stop believing. He didn't stop caring. He says, you know what? We're going to fix this problem. He kicked Tobiah out. Told the people they need to start giving their tithes again. Brought the money in. Let's see. The story goes on. You you thought it couldn't get worse. Let me tell you how much worse it's going to get. Okay, verse 15. In those days I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this in Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling fish on that day. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you're doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your forefathers do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. If you were here in the story of Nehemiah, you know this has already happened once. Nehemiah has already fixed this problem once. And it may seem strange to us because we don't live under the old law and, you know, we're not practicing Judaism anymore. But they had the Sabbath day, and the Sabbath day was important. It was one of the Ten Commandments to remember the Sabbath. It was supposed to be a day of rest. It was supposed to be a day, you know, I mean, we don't, it's not commanded for us, but it would be good for us to have a Sabbath rest sometime. It's good to take a day where you just stop and you don't do any work and you just focus and you think about God, and you give glory to God, and you praise God, and, and you pray to God, and you read your Bible, and it's just a God day. Just a whole day, and it's about God. And so that's all they had. The Jews were commanded to do that. They, had to have a, they were supposed to have a whole day about God, and they were supposed to respect the Sabbath. But you know what they started doing? Because there were people that wanted to make money, and there were people who wanted to buy things. 
They started buying and selling on the Sabbath. That problem had already been dealt with. Nehemiah goes away and comes back and there's the same thing going on. Nehemiah's upset. And then, sort of the coup de grace. Skip over to verse 23. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Those were other places. Those were other cities and countries that were foreigners, not Jewish people. And the Jewish people were marrying outside their faith, which God had strictly commanded them not to do. It says in verse 24, Half their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. That was a big deal. They said these children, they had these mixed marriages, and these children were coming along. So evidently, Nehemiah had been gone long enough for people to marry and have children who were old enough to talk. And these children didn't even speak Hebrew. And so, you know, there's a big problem with that, particularly because the Bible was written in Hebrew. The Bible had not yet been translated into Moabite, into the Moabite, Ammonite, or Ashdod language. This is a big deal. Mixed marriages, marrying outside the faith. So it goes on to say, verse 26, Was it not because of the marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over Israel, but even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we now hear that you two are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? Wow, what a way to end the story of Nehemiah, huh? We go up, up. Up, 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 up for like 12 chapters. Nehemiah leaves and he goes right back to the way they are. You know, I don't know if you remember this, but if you've been here before, I mentioned it. This history, Nehemiah's story, is the last recorded history of the Jewish people before the time of Jesus. Now, still 400 years before Jesus comes. But here we are in the last recorded history, the last chapter And what do we find? God's people who had made some great decisions going back on those decisions and ending up back where they were. You know, it may seem negative. It may seem challenging. It may seem disappointing. But I wonder if it's not God giving all of us a gracious reminder, a suitable warning that no matter who you are and how long you've been in the faith and how good you've done, that just because you were good once and just because you were strong with God once and just because you were committed to God once and just because you were right with God once doesn't mean that you'll always be right with God. And the story of the Bible in many ways is about God's people and individuals, even leaders in God's people who do great and then they fall. Because they don't, they start making poor decisions. And it leads them to a place that perhaps they never intended to be. They start being, we can start being like the people of this day. You know, it's not, we don't live in the Judas, 
you know, in, the, in, in as many thousands, almost 2,500 years ago, and the Jewish people, we're not Jews, and we're not living under the Old Covenant, but still, Tobiah, for instance, choosing the wrong relationships is a bad decision. I'm looking at you teens, and I'm looking at your parents. Bad company corrupts good character. You can act like it's not true, but it's true. And Tobiah, the priest, was still in this close relationship with Tobiah. And it led him to lead the people to a terrible place spiritually. You need to choose your friends wisely. And you need to examine your friendships. They weren't giving to the work of the Lord. They stopped giving their tithes. The Levites and the song, song leaders and the gatekeepers had to go back to the fields and go to work. I told Kevin Kawai he should be really excited about this because in the time of, of the Old Testament, the singers were paid. And uh, I, I was, you know, I didn't even want to mention that to him because I thought he might get the wrong idea. But, you know, actually, I hope that, you know, I, I don't know how you're doing in your giving. But I can tell you, if you're not giving generously and sacrificially to the Lord, the Lord is not pleased, and that's a bad decision. And you're going to suffer for that. I would actually love to, you know, we wouldn't have to have pizza fundraisers and sell T-shirts if we, gave, if we had more money. Because it's a, it's a great part of the worship, what the singers do. i got no problem paying them. I just don't want to pay them instead of me. Did I say that out loud? I, oh, you know, sometimes I need to, I need to work on my inner dialogue, you know, and not making sure. You know what I'm talking about, Kevin. Sometimes you, sometimes you don't need to say everything you're thinking, right? You know what I'm talking about. These people were selling on the Sabbath. Why? Because this could happen to us. The principle. Look at the principle here. Their pursuit of money and their pursuit of their career or their pursuit of their schooling became more important to them than their relationship with God. Crowded out their relationship with God. Bad decision. And then pursuing romance outside the faith. Always been God's plan and always God's understanding that a strong marriage is built by two people who have the same love for God and the same faith in Jesus. And so many times we think we're smarter than that, don't we? Oh, I can get away with that. Other people are weak. I'm strong. I can resist that. It's not a problem for me. So here's the story. Wow, we're almost done. We've got five minutes left in Nehemiah. Here's a lesson, though. You, I don't care if you're Ciara, who just got baptized on Wednesday night. She's four days in the faith. Or somebody like Tom McCurry, who we don't even want to try to think about how long he's been following Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are in that spectrum. Every day, every week, every month, every year, for the rest of your life, you're going to have to fight for your faith. 
Because there's something inside of you, there's a selfishness and a worldliness and a pride that's going to try to drag you right back to that place that you escaped from in the past. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to help you understand the problem and the solution in five minutes. Look over in Jeremiah. Go ahead and put it up on the screen because then you won't have to turn there. You can, of course. Jeremiah 17. Make decisions where you trust God to give you your best life. And here's why you need to look to God. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Maybe it's underlined in your Bible. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Have you ever felt like, as you're going through life and making your decisions and even making bad decisions that you knew were bad decisions, and later on somebody asks you, why did you decide that? And even as an adult, you go, I don't know. You ever felt like, as you're going through and making bad decisions and stuff, that there's something wrong with me? Can we be honest here for a moment? Can I tell you the truth? This is what God wants you to know. There is something wrong with you. And I know that popular psychology tries to tell you that you're good and I'm good and we're all good and all that. But God has a completely different message. And so this may be the last time you ever come to this church. But at least you're going to hear this message and then you can never come back again. There is something wrong with you. You are not made and not equipped to be able to make your own decisions based on what your heart wants and what your mind wants. And if you do that, you're going to be messed up. Because this is true of me, and this, there's something wrong with... It's, it turns out it's not just you there's something wrong with. There's something wrong with me. My heart. It says it's deceitful. Have you ever known somebody who's a really good liar... Do you realize that the best liar, if there is such a thing, or the worst liar, let's, let's put it in the right context, that you know is the liar that's in your heart. And that's the liar that's telling you, even when you know this is not what God wants, and you know it's perhaps not best, but you want it, and you want it now, and you think it's best, and your own heart lies to you, right, and tells you all the reasons it's okay. Have you been there? Not going to matter just this once. I can always repent later. God is gracious. You know, what else, What are the other lies we tell each other? Tell ourselves, I'm, I'm stronger than this. This might be a problem for other people. It's not going to be a problem for me. I can always fix it later if it doesn't work out. Lies, lies, lies. And here's the really depressing thing, and here's why you need to be at church, and here's why you need to be a Christian. Not only is your heart deceitful, it is beyond cure. Now, I hope we find a cure for cancer. People that I love have died. People that I love right now are going through it. 
It's terrible. Almost everybody here has somebody that's in their family or somebody they know that is either suffering or has died from cancer. But here's the truth. At this point, there is no cure. There might be a cure one day. We need to pray for a cure. Alzheimer's. Terrible disease. More and more of us are are being impacted by that. People we know, people we love, they have Alzheimer's. And there's no known cure. But there's a possibility, and we pray, and we hope. And there are many things that in the past, polio, whatever, you know, name the diseases that, you know, people used to die from stuff that's just normal. You know, you just get a flu shot. People used to die from the flu. But here's the thing that God wants you to know. We found a cure for a lot of diseases. And we hope to find some cure for other diseases. But we are never on this earth, in this life, going to ever find a cure for your heart. And that's why we make bad decisions. Jeremiah 29 i got to give you some good news before we leave here. Everybody goes, yes, please, please give me some hope. Because I'm sinking fast over here. My sh- I'm, I'm like the Titanic. I'm taking on water. In just a matter of hours, I'm going to be sunk. It's interesting, Jeremiah, who incidentally preached at the very beginning of this time when this 140 years earlier, when Babylon was, took over Jerusalem and destroyed it and all that, Jeremiah was preaching then. And he was trying to help the people then, but nobody was listening. And so one of the things he told them was, you got a bad, your heart is messed up, dude, dudess. The sooner you figure that out, the better off you're going to be. But God's prophets, even when they were strong and even when they had a message of truth that was cut to the heart, they also had, gave us hope. And that's why it says in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Here's the good news. Then and now, whatever's going on, no matter how bad it is, God still gives hope. God still has a plan. God still wants to bless you. You can be forgiven. You can be changed. You can be converted. You can get God's Spirit living in you. But you need to do, here's all, God says it's all still out there for you. You're still alive. It's not too late. Here's hope for you, but here's what you got to do. you got to seek God with all your heart. You can't half-step here. You can't just show up when you feel like it. You can't just be spiritual when it, when it seems okay to you. You've got to make decisions. You've got to make daily decisions. Every day to seek God with all your heart. And if you do less than that, you have left yourself open to terrible consequences, perhaps even to go back to where the people of God did in the time of Nehemiah. I hope the study of Nehemiah has been helpful for you. I hope it's been a blessing for you. I hope we can all learn from the lessons that have been there. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for this great story of Nehemiah. We confess that many of us 
especially the last part of the story of Nehemiah. We never really read it. We never really studied it. So powerful. Thank you that your words meet our needs wherever we are. Help us each to take a good hard look at ourselves. I include myself in that. To look at the decisions that we're making. To look at the path that we're on. To take responsibility for our life. And to make the kind of decisions that are going to result in blessing. And not curses in our life. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great rest of the day. Newcomers reception is going to begin immediately over in the fellowship hall. If you're new to the church here, visiting with us today, please come on over. We'll feed you some food.